Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this, and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. Before we get talking about the show, uh, which is pretty exciting, pretty good episode, I've uh, been trying to line it up with Bo for quite a while to get him on, but uh, our schedules kind of just haven't been able to line up. So it's pretty cool to get Bo Martonic on and talk about his elk experience and kind of the knowledge he's gained along the way. But before we do that, talk real quick about treelineacademy.net, the most comprehensive e-scouting course you could possibly ever ever take. I'm going through it right now, really, really learning how to use Google Earth Pro um, and it's just, I mean, it's crazy all the stuff you can do with it. Mark breaks it down for you. Not only that, he shows you all other kinds of things to really focused on elk, but you can adapt it and use it for so many other things, uh, different species as well. So check that out and save yourself 20 bucks with the promo code PC 2020 PC 2020, save yourself 20 bucks, treelineacademy.net. And now let's get to the show. All right, so I'm sitting here, and I am talking to Bo Martonic. And, uh, Bo, I'm going to let you introduce yourself from there, because if people don't know you, they're going to find out who you are. <laughs> well, thanks for the, the introduction there. I My name is Bo Martonic, as you said. I'm from northern Pennsylvania, so I grew up here my whole life and always have lived in some part of Pennsylvania, moved around a lot, but always been here growing up, mostly hunting whitetails and turkey bear all that stuff kind of more of the the eastern big timber appalachian region type of hunting and so i've done that my whole life and then kind of started venturing into western hunting which uh, i know we're going to talk about here on on this episode but um started doing that in 2016 and it's just kind of opened up a whole different world you know to uh as far as the the hunting goes, it's uh it's been super incredible and and you know as you know as as I've got to learn all that different stuff, it's just taken me to such cool places and made me want to travel. You know, even outside of hunting and and you know I grew up in a small town, so I was I was always kind of you know just happy here. I enjoyed you know kind of being in a small town and you know doing things that were here and really hunting has taken me to places and opened up my mind to do other stuff that uh that i probably normally wouldn't have done to be honest so it's it's been a it's been a pretty cool ride there 
No, that's awesome. But you forgot to introduce yourself with the podcast, so I'm just going to go out here and say it. Uh, Bo <laughs> has East Meets West podcast, and I'm, I'm going to let you do the name thing, how you came up with that, but it's basically something to do with his first trip out west, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I uh, started the East Meets West Hunt podcast back in 2018. It's um, actually as of like back July 1st, I think was two years since I started it. And um, I came up with the name because so I went on my first Western hunt in 2016 that I mentioned a little bit. And after I got done, I wrote a story on it. And now at this point, uh, I do a lot of outdoor writing, but um, then I didn't do anything. I didn't do any writing at all. Like after I got out of college, I was done writing, didn't care about it, nothing. <laughs> so I wrote this story more or less for myself to be able to remember it. And I ended up submitting this story to the journal Mountain Hunting, which is a Canadian-based online magazine for their like subscriber story section where they'll pick like one subscriber story a month to release. And I titled it East Meets West. And I'm actually, I'm pretty sure my brother came up with the name. Uh, so I, I can't really take that. <laughs> pretty sure he's the one that came up with the name. But uh, so we titled that and then also did a little video. Like we had candy cams and stuff while we were elk hunting. And my brother edited this video. I put it up on my YouTube time. It was my only really YouTube video, I think. Um, and it really was until recently, but I put it up and we titled it East meets West as well. So that's where it kind of came from, but it's all stems around the idea of, you know, being from the East going out West. And it doesn't mean necessarily like physically going from the Eastern United States to the West, although that's kind of what it is. It's more or less about that mindset and that drive for adventure and basically just getting out of your comfort zone. That can be, you know. So my podcast is about trying to help people, you know, from the East and the Midwest really be able to, to learn, you know, Western hunting, like almost like learning it with me. I'm definitely not an expert in anything with that. I'm learning as I go. And I wanted to learn from other people that are way better than I am and hopefully ask the questions that everyone else has been wanting to know. And that, that was kind of the basis of it. And then in addition to that, so. Where, where I grew up, I mentioned it briefly, but I hunt whitetails in the Appalachian Mountains. So it's all endless, big timber country. Um, for the most part, public land. We have like 2 million acres of it just in northern Pennsylvania alone. And that style of whitetail hunting was never really talked about. And it has kind of an adventure, western hunting style vibe to it. So that's kind of those two topics are like my main things that I focus on. Um, and I, I really didn't realize that the, the mountain buck stuff is, I've kind of coined it is probably even, uh, more popular than the, the Western stuff as far as what people want to listen to. So it's, it's been, been really cool. Cause I've, I've grown up doing that. So that's, that's a little bit easier for me to talk about than the Western hunting stuff. <laughs> so, um, before we get into actually talking about, um, I'm just kind of, you do a little bit of foraging, right? I mean, I saw you, uh, you actually cooking up some mushrooms. I, th I think some chanterelles yeah. or something the other day. Yeah. So when I, when I, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about it. So I'm not going to even pretend to do that. I know a few different things. I know <laughs> I, I pick wild leeks, um, and they might be called different things in other places, but we call them leeks, like basically a wild onion. Yep. We call and them ramps. Yep. Ramps. Okay. I was just going to say that that's the other term I've heard. So. I pick leeks or ramps and uh, I do do make some dip and some other different things with that. Um, and then also, and I'm not even sure the, the real name for it, but I call them chicken of the woods mushrooms, which is what you saw me cooking up the other day. Um, if I come across that and they look good at the time, depending on the time of year, I'll bring those home with me and, uh, and cook that as well. Do you uh, pick, harvest any other mushrooms or anything like that? No, I don't. I, I really don't know enough about them to trust myself in picking them. So you've got one of the, probably the best mycologists of our time that is like a mushroom hunter and educator right there in Pennsylvania, probably not too far from you. Um, and his name is Adam Harrington. 
Okay. And he has, uh, he has a platform because it's YouTube, it's everything, and it's called Learn Your Land. And that dude, it would be so worth if you're interested in that kind of stuff to go and talk to him or even take a, a mushroom walk with him. Because that dude knows so much and he's constantly learning more and educating. It's amazing. So just so you know, he's pretty close to you. It's definitely worth checking out, man. Yeah. Do you know know where he's from? Ah, Somewhere outside of Pittsburgh. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, that's not not too far. About two hours of Pittsburgh. Yeah, he's outside of Pittsburgh. And he says he keeps moving further and further into the country. So, (laughs) yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. But yeah, that's definitely one to check out, man. He does some foraging walks and stuff. And, and, uh, I mean, he knows a ton of plants too. Don't get me wrong. Like he can go out anywhere in the woods or whatever and come up with something and be like, oh yeah, let's make a vegetable broth today. Um, but, but it seems that most people have gravitated lately towards mushrooms. So that's kind of what his focus has been on as far as education. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, he's, he's a really awesome dude to, to try and learn from. So that would be one to, uh definitely look up if you're wanting to learn more. Um, yeah. Now that I've said that, um, let's talk about, let's talk about your, uh, elk experiences, man. That's uh pretty cool. Congratulations on your success. I know it's been almost a year already. It's crazy to think that, but, um, I know how about it, <laughs> but, um, I'm just kind of curious what, what was your initial intent? Like, uh, when, when you, before you went out on your hunt, how did you decide um, what you were going to do and how you're going to chase them. Was there ever a thought, maybe I'm going to do it with a rifle or was it always going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to go with a bow. You know, so I got kind of inspired to do it. Cause I didn't think that I really didn't think much about elk hunting, like say until probably 2015. I just like, I, I don't know. I watched it, them on TV shows on the outdoor channel and stuff and thought it was more of like a high dollar type thing. And I just, really wasn't exposed to a whole lot of content from it and then i um i discovered cameron haynes and bought his book backcountry bow hunting and i was just like this sounds like the coolest thing like i want to do this (laughs) and you know yeah so (laughs) when when i was like reading it i'm like you know i i was always been into fitness and 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 hunting and i like camping i was like man this seems like combines everything so based on that i was like I need to go into the furthest place in the wilderness possible and bow hunt elk in like this steep, rugged train. Well, that was not great guidance to kind of go into it with, but uh, that was kind of my thought process and just try to learn as much as possible. I, I think we decided like January of 2016, we were going to go that September. And I talked to my brother and my cousin to doing it with me. And I, I always wanted, I wanted to do a bow hunt. I've always been into bow hunting, nothing against gun hunting. I'm taking a rifle to Alaska here in a few weeks. Um, but like, I just bow hunting elk in the rut was like what I want. I like calling. I like with, even with deer, like I like the rut, I like interaction. And so that was kind of why I wanted to do that. And, and so I go, but going into it, I knew literally nothing. So I just started. I was kind of getting into podcasts pretty big at that time. So I started listening to different podcasts and, and also um, just reading everything online. I was starting to feel kind of overwhelmed um, trying to figure out like weed through the stuff of what I need to know, what I didn't and what was opinion. And then I found uh, Corey Jacobson had a university of elk hunting online course and I signed up for that. And that really, really helped me put it, put everything in like one place for me to be able to learn. So I, I did that and um, literally just, I picked a wilderness area in Colorado that had the things I was looking for out of this. You know, I was going into it wanting to kill something, obviously, but in, I also wanted the full experience. I'd never been out West. So it was, I wanted like the, the most beautiful views. I wanted to, you know, be up in the high country, just had something that I wanted to do. So that led me to one of the wilderness areas in Colorado. And yeah, we just took off and drove like 27, 28 hours across the country and uh, 
I remember getting out of the the truck at this rest stop and like we're out somewhere outside of Denver and I went to walk to go into the bathroom and <laughs> I I couldn't breathe. Like I was like, oh this is bad. I thought I was in good shape. I oh man, I was not as far as like dealing with altitude at first. So it was uh it was an eye opening experience and 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 really like I remember a weed scout online, like we're using Onyx looking at Google Earth and everything. And we pick, we pick these spots. Like we're going to go glass from here. You know, we're going to go up there and we're going to glass day one, you know, maybe like the afternoon, we're going to go over here and check this out. I got there. I'm like, well, that's going to take me two days. Just get number one. Like, there's no way (laughs) this is so much bigger. Google Earth's a liar. Like this, (laughs) this sucks. So that was kind of like my outlook going into it, like the the beginning stages. So, yeah, I was kind of going to ask you, so you did do some e-scouting, if you'll call it that. I mean, you weren't just looking yeah. and going, okay, yeah, that looks like a good spot. I mean, you actually did try and do it. What, what resources did you use in order to learn how to e-scout like that? Or were you just applying the same tactics you did for whitetail for elk? No, I... Uh... Corey's course, uh, the University of Elk Hunting was the one that taught me a lot with it. And I think it was actually, it was really good. So we, we found elk on the first day and ended up, we got an elk most days on the trip. Um, just screwed up every single opportunity, like really hard. But uh, it, so we found elk. So the, the e-scouting portion went relatively well, but it, I think it was more luck than it was <laughs> skill with it. Uh, you know, I, I had the basis of it, I'd say, but I, I feel like I've learned a lot, you know, since then. Yeah. So like my whole thing when I f- went on my first hunt was like, yeah, that looks like a good area on the map. And most of my stuff was done. Like uh, it, I did no Google Earth whatsoever. So it was either on X and it was just kind of like looking on an iPad. And if it wasn't on X, I was doing uh doing some go hunt and just kind of looking at the hunt area itself through that. And that's what I looked at. I mean, I had no idea and I didn't, I didn't truly educate myself about the species either. That was one of the things that I just didn't, didn't do, didn't even think of, you know what I mean? If you're going after a whitetail, you need to know your core, you know what it eats, know what it browses, all those type of things. You know, why does it like cover? Why does it like these transitions, all those things. And I did not do that to educate myself on the elk. And I found that, I mean, Heck, I didn't even know. So, like, my whole catalyst of why I wanted to do it is I watched a bunch of Randy Newberg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So I was like, man. Because before that, I'd never seen. I'd never seen to where it was, like, public land. You see all these people on, like, Eastman's or whatever. No offense to Eastman's, you know. It's it's cool what they do and that they can afford to take these people and put them in different locations like that and, and, and hunt these hunts or even Cameron Haynes going to whatever ranch he goes to and those different things like that. You know, you see that on TV and you're like, okay, that's, you know, that's cool, whatever. But then I saw Randy doing it and he's like, anybody can do it. You can do it. This is your land. It's my land. It's everybody's. You just got to get a tag and come and do it. And I'm like, oh man, all right. You talked yeah. me into it. I'm sold, Uncle Randy, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> that's what he is. He is like that uncle that's willing to, like, take time and teach you, you know. He's that everybody's uncle. And Yeah, he's uh, a great educator. So I was like, man, all right, okay. And I watched his e-scouting videos, and it's, you know, like a three-minute segment, right, you know. And so that's what I was kind of basing off of, but I didn't, I didn't educate myself enough. I didn't actually truly learn the animal, and then it's like, you get there and then it's like like you were saying you just you underestimate yourself right you're like or you overestimate yourself and underestimate the terrain because on a map it doesn't it doesn't do it justice compared to what it is and uh so same thing as you i got there and i'm like oh i'm out of breath i'm this i'm that and i actually did try and train pretty hard way more than i trained this last last month when i went out to bozeman just to go on a hike and <laughs> it was not good <laughs> But so, so you actually educated yourself and e-scouted. Um, so, I mean, was like expectation versus reality. It sounds like you ended up getting into elk. So that, that was definitely reality. But um, what, what was it as far as like, I mean, was your problem just like closing the deal or calling them or, you know, what, what was kind of your hangups that you ran into? I had a lot of problems. <laughs> it's uh, So like, like I said, we found elk 
and I don't know what it was, but like, so I went back to the same area the second and third year, and there were so many more people. That first year, we got lucky as far as didn't run into many people. And so like the other thing that, that I've learned is when you, there's so many videos of talking about e-scouting and stuff, and a lot of them say similar things. So you got to think of like, everybody else is watching this too. Maybe, maybe not everybody, but anybody that's trying to learn is going to be watching these and probably thinking the same way. I've found that from people that I've met in the backcountry and in, in places and, you know, they've picked out places on maps. And once I start talking to them, they're like, Oh, I was looking at this place. I'm like, well, so, so was I like that, <laughs> you know? And so I tried to like think a little bit differently, but on, on that hunt specifically, that first hunt, it was closing the deal 100%. And then also like, okay, I located him. What do I do? And my, my calling wasn't great. It was, it was manageable. It was enough to get them the answer back sometimes but I didn't understand kind of what I was doing or when to call. Um, those were some big things. Um, also, you know, I, I had a pretty good grasp on thermals just from the way that they are um, in the even in the Appalachian mountains here in Pennsylvania, but still it was, it was different. And I didn't know how the elk were using the thermals and how they were bedding and some different stuff there. And, you know, from a lot of the e-scouting stuff I was looking at, I was like, all right, you know, they're bedding on the north face in the dark timber. Well, where I was, everything was dark timber. So they were bedding all over. <laughs> um, for, the, for the most part, I found them to be on north facing slopes, but that definitely was not the case, like, just all-inclusively, which I understand, like, now from creating stuff myself. Like, you can't cover every scenario, and you kind of got to go with the majority. So I, I get it. but it, it took me, you know, I did a lot of research going into it and trying to learn the elk behavior and, and really thought I was prepared there. But I felt like once I hit the mountain, I forgot everything. <laughs> and it, it was it was literally just I felt like I forgot everything. And I, I can think of one story where we came up to this beautiful lake, like a spot that like that you would see photos of on a calendar. And on the other side of the lake was a nice bull drinking out of it with cows. <laughs> and we walked right up to it, like, and uh, the cat, one of the cows saw us and kind of scurried off. And the bull took off. And we just started, you know, calling at it. My brother hung back and started raking a tree. And the bull was just, you know, was going nuts. But he was heading back to his bed. Like, they were getting a drink, and they were heading up to bed on that hill. And... I didn't realize, like, you're not going to call them back to you. And when they're heading to bed in the morning, like, they're going to bed. So what I should have did was try to, you know, kind of circle around and get to where their destination was um, or what I thought their destination was. And I was trying to follow them. And you just, they know those mountains. They're a lot, they're a lot better shape than I am. And I just never caught up to them. So that was just kind of some things there that I learned. You know, he was he was bugling back and doing everything you'd want, but he was never really going to come in, if that, you know, makes any sense. So, like, that, that closing the distance thing and just kind of learning the way elk behave were, were probably my biggest, biggest things there. So, let's kind of break that scenario down then. So, if you would have yeah. done, done that differently or knowing what you know now, you probably would have, you probably would have went and tried to get into where their betting was or waited and just let them go right and figured out where their bedding was and then maybe snuck in there and started raking or something just to kind of pique that bull's interest or what, what would you, you know, how would you break that down now versus what you did? I probably, so I'd probably, it depends on how fast they were going up the hill. I can't remember, but like I would either try to circle around, like and go like way out and get up on a higher level. Um, but, uh, Reality, I probably never would have beat them there. So the best method is, and kind of what I did this year, was let the bull just go to bed and kind of, you know, sometimes I've heard them bugle from their beds, but other times they don't. But you kind of have to guess of an area. And I'd probably let them go to bed and then try to get up on the same elevation line as them and move around towards and, and move in close quietly and then maybe try to strike them up with either a bugle or a cow call. 
Um, but that's, you know, one, one of the things that I've done is go in and get close like that. Just a couple soft cow calls. And if you can get him to bugle and then just cut him off with your own bugle. And if he's in the right temperament, that'll really get him upset. Yeah. I've heard, though, I don't know. I'm no expert either. Um, but I've heard that a lot of times once they're in their bed, they'll bugle, but they still won't, you know, just not play until they're ready to get up, depending on, like, if it's an actual herd bowl versus a satellite bowl or, you know, a herd bowl will be like, yeah, whatever, I'll deal with you later type of thing. And uh, and that satellite bowl might might get up and play. But, I mean, to me, I'm okay with that satellite bowl coming in. If it's legal, <laughs> it's, it's going to yeah. be down, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and I think, I mean – and I, that's probably true for situations. At least that I I don't have enough encounters like that to really be able to speak and say this is what works and what doesn't. But in my, in my head, like I think if you got like close enough to them before you you know got aggressive, that you could even get any bull up out of his bed. But as far as like, he feels like kind of threatened, like he's you're getting in close, you're getting in on his calves, you're you know doing that, and that's. And I think it was Corey Jacobson that explained it to me. It was like, like think about it. Like if you were to go into say uh, a bar or a restaurant, and a guy's yelling at you from across the room, you're just gonna probably sit there and be like, you know, fake it off, whatever. But if a guy's right up in your face screaming at you, you're more apt to want to hit him back. Like you're, <laughs> it's one, of, you know, it's one of those yeah. things. Uh, so I, that always kind of stuck with me. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's kind of true, you know, and especially with the testosterone being high and, you know, in September, I don't know. That's always just kind of been my strategy with it. And, um, and as, as you'll kind of hear here, it obviously hasn't worked real well because I've only killed one bull. So just, that's a, a, a little note there. <laughs> as you're <laughs> well, hearing me say things you... like, is that a work and what didn't make sure you're like, uh, yeah, don't follow him a hundred percent. Oh, what are you talking about? You're a professional now. Yeah, yeah, you got totally. one down. You're a pro. Bowl. Yeah, I can speak on it. Like I know exactly what to do. <laughs> bow the bow killing pro. Yep. But yeah, so um, so let's kind of talk about. So you went out there the first year. You decided automatically you're going to go back the second year, right? Yep. And then um, you go back the second year. You go to the same spot. I mean, that's one thing I dealt with is is crowds. I mean, the the biggest. I, I think the biggest factor of not seeing any bulls when I, I, I mean, I didn't even see a bull at all when I went out and I went to Southern Colorado and I saw a ton of people and even everywhere I went, I'd be up on a ridge or something and be glassing and I'd look over to another ridge and I'd see a guy coming over the crest of it or something. I mean, was that kind of how your scenario was or what was, uh, what was that like? So the first year it wasn't real bad like that, but that second year it was, it's everybody was going up uh, later the hike. There was a trail ran the ridge and then ran right up in the high country. And the trail ended up going like up over the, the top of the ridge and down and stuff. But everybody was going up and like spreading out across the high country. It, and at any time you could glass across these basins up top and kind of find somebody. And which led me to kind of being like, okay, maybe um, got to, maybe I, well, everybody's going up there. Like there's obviously not any elk going up there right now. So what are they, what are they doing differently? And what I ended up finding was people were going deep and there was, there was a people that were hunting from the truck that like within a mile of the truck, there was a bunch of people. And then there was like a gap of like the two to like three and a half mile range, just estimating with this scenario. Um, and then after that, they, four or five and six seven miles there was other people that were back in like more of the quote-unquote hardcore guys that were packing back in and i ended up like i i packed in and i was finding elk back towards the truck because <laughs> you know everyone was just hiking this trail and getting up to the top but they were weren't paying attention to this like nasty you know dark timbered ridge off to my left and i i remember there was a spot there that looked like the perfect bugling point, you know, right up the side of the trail, down this valley. I sent one off, you know, there a couple of times and, and never heard anything until 
I drop down into there and then I'm getting into elk like a bugle fest, like down in that dark timber, but they never answered when I was up top. But what I learned was when I was hunting in there, other people that would hike that trail would stop at that same point and bugle and those elk would shut up. It was like they knew where the the people and the pressure were coming from. So, you know, it was it was super tough. Like you like you were explaining, like finding people all over. It's really frustrating. But if you can find those little holes that they kinda, you know, have their own sanctuary there it, it can be super good too that sounds like a cody rich thing is uh finding those little pressure pockets oh yeah that's, <laughs> yeah yeah Co- cody was I, he's helped me a lot with that um and yeah he he's uh someone i i look up to from you know some of those things there that i, I think i i told him this i was like i think he just says that because um he likes hunting deep in the backcountry. he's trying to get people out of there probably i wouldn't <laughs> doubt that yeah he's got his horses so yeah he takes he takes some horses out there yeah uh yeah but okay so then let's kind of you you ended up deciding to go to a different state right after your second year is that kind of what happened no i went back the third year um i went back that's right i was doing like a seven day hunt the first two years and in the third year i was like i went out for like 14 days and the first four days I hunted that spot and it was a really dry year. So the high country was dry and there was literally just no elk in that area. They had moved down towards the private. And so I moved to a different section of the unit, got into elk and, uh, but never had like a close opportunity. And then after like seven days, I met up with some other guys come from Pennsylvania and they had horses. So we took horses back in like, we didn't like ride them, but they helped carry our gear. And we went back in nine miles. It was a new unit I'd never been to, but these guys have hunted it for quite a while. And at nine miles back in, we were, there was people, there was camp. There was people there that had llamas that packed in. They had <laughs> just people that walked in, all this stuff. And like, and we ended up getting into elk there too. Um, but it, it just, the people thing was just like, I don't know. I was just almost like, I'm sick of Colorado and it's not all Colorado, but it was just, you know, my experience I had. So I, I started getting on go hunt, trying to figure out a better, what I thought was going to be a better, you know, area or state. And, and I talked to some people that had hunted Idaho and they're like, man, you should, you should really check Idaho out. Like they put a cap on their non-resident tags. So it can never get like any worse. I mean, certain areas can get bad because they don't really cap it off by zone, but um, they. Uh, but anyways, they have a, a full cap on it. So I did some research and and through Go Hunt figured out the zone I wanted to hunt. You know, I looked at like bull to cow ratio, harvest success, and uh, I'm trying to think what else I looked at. Those are like my two biggest ones I was focused on. Um, and oh, and it was like percentage of six point bulls. I didn't care to like to shoot a big six point bull or anything like that. But in my thoughts, if, if there's you know bulls that are hitting maturity or anything else, like that's going to really up my chances to you know even find you know satellite bulls. So I, I after I picked like my unit based on that stuff, I jumped on Onyx and started scouting. And you know guys like. Cody Rich, plus my own experiences, led me to instead of trying to find these big like, I I was trying to break down the unit. I was looking at you know the roads and trying to figure out you know where all the trailheads are. So we went through, we marked all the trailheads, and then we went through and marked all the campgrounds, and kind of looked at that, looked at the map again, still trying to you know figure things out. And like we did this for the entire unit. And took a lot of time to do that and then went through and was kind of looking at, all right, what are some things that have the, the food and that have cover, bedding and water and started marking those places out that looked pretty good that were away from those, say, trailheads. Didn't have to be far away from roads, but it had to be far away from or not right at like a trailhead, so to speak. So marked a bunch of those, and then kind of figured out which ones looked best, 
And then you were talking about Mark Livesey's um, strategy before we started recording, you know, with the hunt plan. And I'd listened to him on Cody Rich's podcast about that. So I created my own hunt plan as far as I had five main areas, like bigger areas. And then I broke it into subsections, almost like, say, basins or, or drainages. And then I had them based on priorities, why I liked them, what were the negatives to it, and, you know, things that I, I broke down that plan. And uh, me and my hunting partner just kind of really started then micro diving into those areas and marking more things up and just had backup plan on backup plan on backup plan you know, before we went into it. And luckily the spot number one was, uh, was the ticket, <laughs> but so we never got to use the full hunt plan, but, uh, it was, it was really cool to be able to break down the unit like that. Yeah. That's actually what Mark, uh, Mark teaches you to do in his courses is, is, uh, you know, mark out all trailheads, all access, anything that somebody can get to a hunting property or even pull over off the side of the road and access the same trail that you may be on or something like that. And then around those things, create like a two mile buffer. And then that's what you're left with because the two mile and the five mile. So you're going to be hunting between like two and five realistically with the pack, unless you've got llamas or something taking you in deeper, but then depending on where you're at, like you said, in Colorado, I mean, you could end up with all these outfitters that are seven or nine miles deep. And then, then you're in their, you know, in their area and they're going to be hunting there too. So coming up with those expectations like that. Yeah. That's awesome that you guys did all that. And then the next thing would be identifying all those features. And, 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 you know, like that, that I probably got that from, from Mark. I'm pretty sure I did like all the, all the stuff that I got (laughs) scouting from somebody else for the most part. And then kind of piece it together for, yeah. you know, what kind of fit what I was doing and kind of a strategy. And, and one thing I'd, I'd recommend if you're going with like, if you're going with partners, what we, we live in a great technology era and using things like Google Docs so that you can both add things to it. So I, I do that for every hunt now. If I'm going with somebody, I create a Google Docs and multiple people can go in there and edit and it automatically updates it. So like, I'll just like, we'll just like brainstorm a bunch of ideas and then have a hunt plan going through and breaking down the areas. And, you know, my hunting partners can add to it, their notes, what they find and just really keep yourself organized. And even below that, like I'll have a whole section of just important addresses and contacts, you know, say it's a, um, a butcher shop or looking at where places where you can get food or grocery stores or ice and um, everything, you know, I, all that stuff is kind of in my, my personal hunt plan that I do, but um, going back to the whole scouting thing like that. I, I think if I took that strategy, even like a Colorado, you could still, you could do good there too. I think it, I just kind of developed my plan, um, you know, after you know years of experience and then also listening to other people kind of helped me and it just so happened to be in Idaho at the time. Yeah, no, I, I totally, I feel that the next time I go out wherever I go hunt elk from doing, especially that, you know, you're talking about, you probably got it from Mark. I mean, the stuff I've learned from that course is incredible to be able to, you know, learn how to do those things especially like i mean i was i still am sometimes the whitetail hunter that does not do the uh the the e-scouting that i probably should on some chunks of property i'll look at my onyx on my phone and go okay i'm gonna try and get in there and then i'll actually once i'm on the ground i'll look for sign and try and set up or something you know and and just kind of go in there blind but with an idea of where i'm going because of the onyx and i i'm not saying it's the wrong approach because do whatever works for you, but to be able to identify those features before you ever even get there and have kind of the whole thing in your mind probably totally helps, you know? And, um, so I'm kind of curious though. So you went to Idaho and that was like year four yeah. then yep, at that, that point. Four. And, and you got on elk again and you had a hunt plan and, and you got to apply it, which is awesome that you didn't even have to use your other backup spots, right? I mean, you got yeah, into that them. was that was a, a really lucky thing. And the, and the one the one thing that I should note on this is 
And I guess it should be a warning to you, Luke. It could it could work out like it did for me, but I, I talked about on my podcast, like me wanting to find another thing. I wanted to hunt a different country, and that was one of my other reasons for going to Idaho. I wanted to hunt places where I could glass a little more, had some more open com- country mixed in. And I was describing this, and a guy messaged me on Facebook that was listening to it and was like, that sounds like really familiar to the area I'm hunting and started talking to me. And <laughs> we found out that like the area I was scouting was right down the road from where he had been hunting. And this guy goes out by himself. He's like, let's meet up, you know, and just so happens he killed a bull a couple of days before we got out there. So we met with him and, and everything there. And uh, it was just, it was super cool. That was just kind of like a side, side note story. And now we're like, we're good friends. And, uh, and that's actually your podcast yeah. episodes, right? You've got some of those yeah. episodes. Yep. I believe yeah. he's yeah. on them. You yeah. can hear it when I did those ones from camp. Yeah, he was he was there. That's pretty cool. That's awesome that you got to, you know, it, it's cool that the platform ends up giving you the opportunity to, to meet people and talk to people like that. And especially that, you know, now now you guys are friends and, and yeah. buddies, you know. That's yeah, pretty it was, awesome. It was, it was super cool. So so now 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 that you talked about that um and you alluded to it so you went back a second year to idaho and and you were wanting territory and then let's kind of get into that story about how you actually had success yeah so that was my first year in idaho yeah that was was your first first year year in idaho so first year the the spot that i was explaining like that that we picked the number one on my hunt plan got there at like two in the morning um and woke up in, in the morning and we we're like we woke up like at like 11 because we got in at two in the morning we're like we're gonna take a day we're gonna be there for 14 days and like my buddy had some real he was hospitalized for elevation sickness um the year before like really bad so we're like let's take our time get acclimated so we just hung around camp you know the first morning and then the afternoon took kind of a light hike up the mountain to try to like locate and listen a little bit and right before dark i had uh i'd heard uh heard a bugle off on this one north facing slope and i and i should um i should go back a second and say there there there's this one meadow i picked way up on the right on the the base of where it hit like rocky high country that had what it looked like a little pond nice meadow there was a saddle that dumped into it. Everything looked perfect. Okay, so I, I marked it as a as a onyx point back in March, and I sent it to my cousin Mason and my buddy Michael that were hunting with us. And I said, hundred percent chance of bull down. Like just being, if anybody knows me, like I just always joke around about like being extremely like positive about it, like with success. Like I, I, I it was, <laughs> you know, really a joke. But I was like. You know, it looked like a good area. So I heard that bugle and it sounded like it came from that area. I was like, no way. So I we hiked back down after that dark and um I was like, I'm gonna get up early and we need to get up there. So it was like a twenty five hundred foot climb and Justin Mueller who was a camera guy that I brought along with. Him and I hiked all the way up there before dark, got up to that meadow and right at first light. But it probably dumped over that saddle prior to it being light. But right across that meadow came this big six by six herd bull. Um, just like it, it almost looked like ghostly. Like he just came across all by himself, not making a peep. And but he crossed out in the open about a hundred yards from me, and I couldn't close the distance. So I just let him walk and watch where he went to bed. So that's where I was, we were talking about earlier, you know, kind of letting them go. Instead of me chasing them right then, I just let them relax. And I moved to the other side of the meadow in case any other elk were going to come through to where I could get in the shooting range. And we just sat there until the thermals were going to settle down because the winds were switching and doing all these things. I wanted to wait till like mid morning until things kind of, uh, the wind was a little bit more consistent and then move in on them. Well, we never even had to do that because as we were sitting there, I was sitting glassing that saddle and just a bunch of elk started dumping over it. And at first I saw a spike bull and then I saw, you know, a satellite bull, which uh, was a five by five. 
and in a bunch of cows. And they were coming down fast towards that meadow. So ran down to the side as, as close as I could get to the meadow and kind of tucked myself into some rocks on this open meadow, just was down on one knee. And they came out, came right across the meadow in the same path that Big Bull did earlier. And, you know, I ranged the cows. And once they got to 60 yards, I was like, once that bull hits that spot, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot them there. And they got to that spot, and I felt the wind hit me in the back of the neck. And they bolted. So they took off. And I was just, like, absolutely sick to my stomach. I was like, I blew it again, you know. They went back in the timber, and not two minutes later, they came back out. So more cows came down, and they just started following these new cows back out again. So they must have just got a whiff and wasn't really sure what was going on. And they came out, and the wind held off just enough this time. And uh, that the bull, the five by five, came out uh, 60 yards. He stopped all on his own, and I uh, was able to to make the shot. He ran about 40 yards right in the middle of the open meadow and just tipped over. That's pretty cool. And actually, if, if people uh, that are listening want to see it, there's actually a video out. What's called the video Synergy. called, Bo? Yeah, I got it. If you search my name, Bo Martonic, on YouTube, you'll find it. Or just Synergy Elk Hunting, you'll find it. Find the video. Yeah, Justin got it all on film. Elk falling over the shot. The whole thing that I talked about there is... Uh, pretty neat so let's talk about the emotions man (laughs) i mean think of five years going in right five years years in the making four years four years in the making and then finally success i mean that had to feel pretty good all the time and the tag soup you ate and everything going on and then to have that moment i mean what was that like uh, yeah i it's it's really tough to even put into words like You'll see it if you watch the video. You'll see it because I I literally just lost every like everything I had like you know I anything that I thought that you know you know you're a tough guy climbing up in here and doing these things no like I lost it like I started I was I don't think I was actually crying but I might as well have been if it would have been if if the air would have been as humid as it is in Pennsylvania it definitely would have been tears but it was dry so I was like <laughs> I, I just I literally just lost it when that when that bull fell over. After all that time, all that effort, you know, year round, I was training for it and just like trying to put every odds in my favor. So, and it just felt like I kept failing every year. I just, and I wasn't really failing, but I, I wasn't meeting my goal and killing a bull elk with my bow. So it was just when that finally came together, it made it all worth it. And, you know, looking back, I wouldn't change, you know, all those years of not getting one. You know, at the time, I wanted one. But it made that moment so much sweeter to to be able to actually see it happen. And, you know, just I just kept, you know, just kept going at him. I'm actually sitting here on my couch right now looking at it up on the fireplace. And it just brings back those memories. Like, yeah, it was it was so crazy. And after the bull fell and we went up to it and everything, I texted at a Garmin in reach. I was able to satellite text. Uh, my buddy Michael and Mason, who were there hunting a different spot, and told them bull down. And you know, within a few hours, they had hiked up there to help me. And we had everybody there to help, you know, pack the meat out and you know, kind of share that experience. And you know, having all those guys there with me was probably the coolest part of the whole thing. Like to be able to share that, you know, that that memory with with me. So it was that was. That was the coolest part. No, that's awesome, man. So, I mean, yeah, it's even though even though it felt like failures, and I think even my experience too, even though I'm not a professional like you, I don't have a bull down on the ground yet. But uh, <laughs> all those, <laughs> all those experiences, and even like my experience was such a negative experience and negative impact at the time. Right. You know, it was just so frustrating and all those different things going wrong. And I'm sure you've experienced it, you know, once getting on them and not closing the deal and just trying to cover that gap all the time. And then, you know, it's one of the, like you said, it just makes it so much sweeter. And even mine looking back, it's everybody talks about that type two type fun, right? You, You take off, 
vacation. You're burning up your vacation days that you could be doing something else, you know, totally different type of fun. And you're doing that type two and you're killing yourself and kicking your ass when you're out there. And it's like, man, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And then you get that moment. And it's like, my wife, my wife tells me all the time. She's like, oh yeah, you think you're so tough. You don't ever cry, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, what would it take you to cry? And she asked me that the other day. And I was like, I'd probably get pretty teary if I got a big old bowl on the ground. (laughs) And she goes, really? She goes, you didn't even cry at the birth of your own children. And you're going to tell me you cry at something like that. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't work as hard. That was more you. <laughs> that's a good response. That's, yeah, that, that's a very good response. <laughs> I, had, <laughs> I had to cover yeah, my own butt, right? Say, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's not something I would have said. And, you know, that's why I get myself in the hot water sometimes. But, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's funny you say that. My, yeah. my girlfriend said something the other day. I was back in turkey season. She's like, and this wasn't elk hunting at all, but you know, I was, I was turkey hunting. I was getting up every morning. She's like, "You seem miserable. You're so tired and stuff." And I was like, "But I love it." She's like, "Really?" I was like, "Yeah, I do." Like, you know, getting up and, and doing that. And the same thing with you know, elk hunting. There, and don't get me wrong, there has been many times I'm like, "What am I doing here? Why am I doing this?" But it. it it kind of divides people, the ones that keep coming back for it or the ones that decided to hang it up, I guess. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's yeah. not for everybody, but I, I just, I love that process. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm hooked on the mountains. I, from the, that was my first time actually going out and hiking them and not just being like somewhat near them. And it was like, man, wh- why do I live where? where I live. I mean, yours is a little bit different because you're kind of in the mountains, but around me, I am in, I don't want to say the armpit of Illinois because that's, people might get mad when I say something like that. I don't mean to discredit it, but it is the flattest, just corn-filled Illinois, man. I mean, you can go south and it's it's got hilly stuff or you can go a little bit west, but where I'm at, it is, it is pretty flat. Not quite, not quite uh, Nebraska flat, yeah. but it's flat. And so, you know, getting out there and getting to experience that and hiking through it, it's like, man, this is amazing. And and something just continuously, like, on my drive back, like, I drove by myself straight through back home. Uh, my hunting partner was in Texas, so we parted ways outside of Colorado, and that was it. And uh, just the whole time I'm thinking, I can't wait to get back to the mountains to try and chase elk that I didn't even get to see. Yeah. <laughs> you know and it's it's crazy how it draws you and and i've become quite obsessed since then and tried to educate myself as much as possible and and uh you know it's it's cool. amazing where it'll take you and and that whole adventure like you talk about you know how do you define adventure well to me that's yeah it, man. dude that's i mean that's it's so right like when i remember my first trip was like three or four days in i was like i want to be done like i was just like it was just tough and I was as tough as I thought I was mentally. I wasn't, um, for that, you know, it was, it was different and, you know, we pushed through it and, and got through it and, you know, as worn out I was and couldn't, you know, at the end of like the seven days we got out and had some pizza and beer and had a hotel room and I was so pumped about it. But that next morning driving back, all I could think of was coming back and doing it again and you know <laughs> yeah. you know you said you drove straight through well that sucks by the way like i i don't envy that i my third year out there i drove all the way back from there to pennsylvania straight through and i tried stopping in missouri to sleep at a rest stop and i stopped at like eight in the morning and it started getting like 80 some degrees real quick and i thought i was gonna die in my truck so i was like <laughs> all right i'm just gonna keep going and I ended up driving the whole way through without, besides stopping for, to go to the bathroom and eating. But other than that, it was, that was really, that sucked. Yeah. No, I, uh, my whole thing is when I stop for gas, I'll either go in and pee and, 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 and stretch. Like I, I look, probably look like a weirdo as I'm doing like split lunge type stretches and stretching out my hamstrings and everything while I'm pumping gas. But uh, no, that's, I mean, you got to do whatever you can to try and 
try and keep you from being super fatigued and getting all cramped up from sitting Ample so long. Amount of caffeine. Yeah, I did. You know what? I didn't even have that much really? caffeine. I don't think. Uh, no, because I wanted to sleep when I got home. Because it was for me, it, it's not as long as you. I'm I'm 16 hours from where I was at in Colorado, so I drove that straight through, and then the when I was just I drove straight through on the way home from Bozeman too. That was pretty tough. That was getting through once you get through like eastern montana and especially when it's dark it gets kind of boring and then you go through north dakota and it's like holy cow i've never seen in my life so many gas state or exits for for highways uh highway exits that on the highway exit sign it says no services i've never seen so many in my <laughs> life i think i think i counted like 12 in a row or something crazy to where there wasn't even a gas station or, or really? anything. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting on the way home going through the dark. And then the amount of freaking mule deer and antelope that you saw. I mean, I saw so many dead on the road and I'm like, oh, please. I had like four run out in front of me, but never actually hit any. But that kept me away yeah. for sure. And then I think I drank I drank one uh, Kill Cliff Ignite um, and it was like, I think it was like 10:30 at night. I was starting to get tired, and then that took me all the way through in the morning. And then once the sun came up, I, it was like I caught my third wind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and then it started getting pretty. It was foggy and all the lakes in Minnesota and stuff. It was a pretty good drive. It wasn't too bad. I I don't think I would ever want to do more than that. Like I don't know if I could drive straight through home from Arizona. That might that might be the killer I, when, there. So when you're talking about seeing like mule deer and stuff on the way out. The one year I was going out with my dad, he was sleeping in the middle of the night in Kansas, and uh, I there was a, a mule deer that was dead already, and I hit it <laughs> with my oh it was oh terrible. no, it, and I hit it with his side of the truck, of course, and and uh, he jumped up like screaming <laughs> out of a dead sleep, and uh, I had I had just mule deer guts and everything else all underneath my truck hanging, bent my running boards up like it was. It was a mess. Like someone had hit it right in front of me because the car was off the side of the road. I just came through and plowed it. And and I remember nice. um, going to Idaho last year. I worked a nine-hour day, and then and all of us did. And we had three people, so we could rotate. And we drove right after work. So it was like six o'clock at night, and started heading. And it was like. 35 or 36 hours maybe 37 i can't remember and we drove straight through and that last stretch we were all kind of getting a little irritable and i remember telling my buddy who was driving my truck i was like dude we're going through these alfalfa fields here like in idaho i was like watch out for elk i said you're going like 75 and he's like and it was like not really a speed limit was a little bit lower now i'd say and uh he's like we're good all of a sudden, I'm in the back seat trying to sleep, and he locked up the brakes. And, uh, yeah, we almost hit an elk. That would have, would have been real terrible. That would have sucked for sure. That's that's one thing. Like, my dad was working up in North Dakota for a while and stuff, and he's telling me, he's like, hey, I want to get, like, a brush guard on the front of your truck. And I'm like, nah, I don't know. He's like, I'm telling you, there's so many deer running across the road up there, big, wide open highways. He's like... And the speed limit, he's like, you're doing 75 or 80. He's like, you, you might want to get a brush cart. He's like, at least that way you can limp to a gas yeah. station or something, you know. And I was like, nah, I don't, I'm all right. And then after going through there like that and having somebody run across from me, I think I think I might put one on if I'm going to keep heading out west. <laughs> Probably Definitely not a bad, not idea. A bad <laughs> idea at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Bo, I appreciate you coming on and uh, and talking to me and sharing your knowledge and your experience. Uh so before we go, kind of tell people one more time where they can find you, look you yeah. up. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's been uh, it's been a long time coming, getting our schedules to link up. So thanks for being patient uh, with me there. And I re- really enjoyed the conversation. <laughs> but um, people can find uh, my podcast anywhere you can find podcasts. It's East Meets West Hunt. Um, and then also on Instagram, the same thing. Or also I have at uh, martonic on Instagram and and my YouTube channel is just Bo Martonic. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. You too.
Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. to go with like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.